Cougs House, in anticipation of the biggest conference opener in Houston Cougar football history, I think after some dedicated research, we've got a chance. Let's jump into it. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Cougs, the day of the podcast all about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Angeles, to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater, came to stop by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way, the latest on the Cougs into your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. And if you found us on the YouTube channel, it is so good to see you. Again, remember to subscribe down below. We're doing giveaway every 250 subscribers. And so we are over 1,500. We're on the way to 1,750. If we get 2,000 by the weekend, that'd be incredible. But we have a gift to give away, a special gift to give away at that point. If you want to be in the contest, that's my dog over there. If you want to be in the contest, make sure you're subscribing so we get the, those numbers. And you are liking and commenting on the videos. If you're talking about the TCU game, you are just done with football, you're ready for basketball, or you just need something else to talk about, tell us in the comment section down below if you consider goldfish animal crackers all right now i want to talk about a couple different things but i want to look at mostly kind of matchups here as i look through this because as i was diagnosing some things and trying to move past rice move towards tcu this week in the big 12 conference opener the first big 12 conference opener for the houston cougars i looked at some matchups to start i started with the coaching matchup um it's you know all the pay-per-view kind of stuff. I mean, this is what should be made out of made into movies um, and written in screenplays. We'll get into that in a second. Um, second segment, I want to talk about big Uggs up front and the trench stuff going on. Because I love talking about trench football. If you haven't figured that out yet, this is something I really like. And then the skinny guys on the outside, I'll get the last segment because I feel like we're talking with them a lot over the course of the week. Um, just a preview of the rest of the week today. We're moving into TCU and leaving rice behind. That's hopefully the last time I mentioned the word rice. Uh, in the second, in the second uh, sorry, Thursday's episode, um, we're going to talk some with Stephen Simcox of Locked On TCU, kind of give each other a preview of what's going on and kind of go back and forth about what the matchup looks like this weekend. And Friday, my three keys to the game and a full breakdown on what those keys entail. Now, today, I mentioned the first segment, we're going to start with the coaching matchup because um, this coaching matchup is one of those things where, like, if – Football never leaves the air raid, right? If football continues to go towards more and more passing, like it seems like it will, that air raid offense that was instituted first by Hal Mummy and Mike Leach in the 1990s will always go down as like the big boom of all of that. Now, if you want to be a historian in football, you can go down to some of the stuff BYU was doing a little earlier or things like that. Highly recommend the book, The Perfect Pass, for a breakdown on Mummy and Leach specifically. But we're looking at a matchup of a pair of coaches that were there for the start of it and have been like intertwined through that air raid offense ever since. And while this thing will continue to grow into the ways that the Sean McVay's the world take it and the space and pace of it that, uh, you know, Shanahan and San Francisco and the NFL level does it. And as you see the college football, you'll see more pace and more space and more tempo and those kinds of things. Um, it's an interesting. It's an interesting, like historical look at football. Uh, Sonny Dykes and Dana Holgerson were both involved at the start, and I mean the start of this type of football. As as Mike Leach and Al Mummy were concerned, 
Um, and they worked together on Leach's staff at uh, Texas Tech from 2000 to 2006. Dana actually lasted another year there. Um, but Sonny Dykes, head coach now at TCU, remember the name a little bit more familiar from when Houston played him at SMU there for a minute, right? Um, they were both there, and they both coached wide receivers, actually. Dana coached the inside receivers, and Sonny coached the outside receivers. They worked very, very closely together. Um, they were actually co-offensive coordinators in 0506, which is a unique role that you could really only do with co-offensive coordinators when Leach ultimately still called the plays, but they were all three invested in diagramming, game planning, you know, taking advantage of this uh, situation, taking advantage of those situations. What philosophy What do you want to go with there? I think it's important looking at the air raid offense that while Sonny and Dana both have various levels of collegiate playing experience under their belt, Mike Leach did not, right? Like part of the innovation of Mike Leach in this space is that he approached with this like blank slate brain, having not played or coached at very high levels at all. He was an attorney right before he was involved in coaching, beloved football, and just was looking at it a little bit differently as he started to spin this, you know, the Texas Tech, the wide splits, the pass every play, all those kinds of things, right? The the coaching tree of this goes on and on and on. I mean, Dave Aranda, Baylor's involved, uh, Cliff Kingsbury's a head coach for a while, like, Assistant coaches and players from that Texas Tech staff litter college football with head coaches. So Dana and Sonny are not unique, I don't guess, in that instance, but they were involved in the coaching of it. Like they're they're at the older end of that guard, right? Um, having both in the offensive coordinator, the co-offensive coordinator in 05 and 06. Um, Leach mentioned and speaking of them both, uh, when they both got promoted to that co-OC job back in 2005, the 05 06 seasons. So he said that Sonny and Dana have been an integral part of the staff and success since day one. The instrumental in our Texas Tech's game planning week in, week out. These promotions are well-deserved, right? So, like, went out of his way to point out, like, these are these are two guys that deserve the jobs they're getting. Um, for what it's worth, the Leach and Holgerson relationship goes all the way back to college when L- Holgerson played for him at Iowa Wesleyan. Uh, Leach was working with Hal Mummy there, and I believe it was an NAIA-level football. Uh, that was the early 90s. And then... Holgerson would go on to work for Mummy at Valdosta State before meeting up at Tech. Um, Dykes would play for uh, Leach at Kentucky before ultimately ending up at Tech. Um, Dykes, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. Sonny Dykes told The Athletic in, they played in 2019. That must have been the time um, when Dykes was at SMU that uh, he used to call Holgerson Leach Jr. And kind of get under his skin a little bit, but like in this like affectionate kind of way where like it's almost like a sibling kind of thing. Um, and that Dana Holgerson later told the athletic uh, that while on the staff, Dana was told to recruit Houston in the Houston area and Sonny was told to recruit the Dallas area. And so that they were at the time at SMU and Houston felt like prophetic, right? That, that they were uh, tied to those areas once upon a time. And now that they're at TCU, which is in the Metroplex, you know, Dallas four was very different, but he's the Metroplex and, uh, you've got Dana at Houston in the Big 12. It seems the same kind of prophecy going forward. Unfortunately, obviously, Leach is looking down on this one from above. Um, now, I will say, and this is speaking a lot to the storylines about it, but I love I love air raid football and love where this thing's going. Um, and I think it's really, really cool history to see how just dramatically football changed. Um, schematically, very, very quickly, um, Sonny Dykes is probably more closely tied in the, to the air raid in 2023 and 2022. Then Dana Holgerson's been Dana Holgerson's been trying to incorporate more gap run schemes. They, you know, they've relied more on the zone plays this year. They have trouble getting the pullers around. 
Um, but I think it is, you know, with the Edge Brothers, they're do, doing more gap stuff. Um, and then Sonny, like I mentioned, is doing all of this crazy space stuff that I mentioned when I saw Houston do some of it against Rice. I was like, Dana took over the play calling because that's the kind of stuff that only an air raid person does. Against Nichols, um, Sonny Dykes ran. It was a empty set, but the four receivers on the right side of the field were in a perfect, like, like the I formation stack. And then the one receiver on the left side of the field was all alone in isolation. They ran a like convoluted screen with the stack on the right side and just a simple little quick slant on the left side. And in the pre-snap read, he chose the, the slant, but it made the defense pick which side they were going to defend because it's just such a, it breaks all your rules, right? It changes what you're looking at. And that's where that air raid thing is like invented by guys that look at the football just so differently. Sonny still does a lot of that. Dana does some of that. I mentioned like the dead T trips, the right kind of stuff that opened up the second quarter when Houston reeled off 35 unanswered points for, the, for a second, right? Um, defensively, I actually think schematically Houston's got an advantage. They're in a 4-2-5, which is a little bit more flexible with the one high safety, boundary safety, and a low safety. Um, so they dive into 3-3-5, um, which has holes in it in the run game. However, I, I have to point out they've got three really big boss-type guys in the middle of that 3-3-5 on the defensive line. It's probably the reason it works, right? Um, they do a lot of... They send those three guys, obviously, and then the key to this is they're always sending four or five guys. You just have to kind of figure out, based on alignment, based on what your what coverage they're running and those kinds of things, that they're sending. So that's a lot of work on the offensive line to make sure they're picking up where those guys are coming from. But also, for what it's worth, um, is a, comp- a complicated defense for them to run, right? They're in week three as well, and we saw in week one that defense wasn't ready for Colorado and Shooter Sanders and Deion Sanders' uh, Colorado Buffaloes, right? Like, it's a difficult defense to run that I'm sure they get better with time. But TCU returned, like, the third or fourth least players in that roster. They hit the transfer portal as hard as anyone, including the Colorados and Texas States of the world in the offseason, trying to pull DFW kids back to DFW. And they're still gelling as well. Yes, they beat the breaks off Nickel State, but it wasn't the kind of beating the breaks off Nickel State that... I would have assumed um, a national championship runner-up would be doing the next year as they played an FCS opponent, right? 41-6. to six, I mean, we've seen Oklahoma put up 70 this year. Oregon put up 80 this year. It was not that kind of a beatdown. And I want to talk about the the big fellas that, you know, because I am impressed by them and what that matchup looks like. But first, we got to talk about one big thing for you if your car is having the kind of troubles that Houston might have had last week with Rice. Darn it, I said Rice again. But if you're having troubles, you need to figure out something to do, you need to build a championship team, there's no better place to do that than at eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is the perfect fit. And it's the same thing when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors with eBay Guaranteed Fit. You can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or your money back. Uh, just because, like just in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, we'll be right back in the game in no time. After all, it's an easy to bring home a win when the parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right price guaranteed at ebaymotors.com. Let's write eBay guaranteed fit. Only available to U.S. customers. Eligible, item, eligible items only. Exclusions do apply. 
All right, so I said I want to talk about the big fellas, and I want to talk about the three guys at the front end of that um, 3-3-5 defense because I, I'm going to start with the guy I'm most confident will handle fairly well, and that's Paul Oyewal. Um, He is the typically, like I guess they're more closer to a pass rushing defensive end type, although he looks more like a defensive tackle at 6'4", 275. Um, he's actually from Houston. He went to Long Island Creek. Um but he's a big, big, big redshirt freshman they got there. He is um, making plays for them on the edge. Their nose tackle is 6'2", 320. His name's Dominic Williams. I say 6'2", 320 because I think a lot of people have heard about this kid at a South Oak Cliff that's like 6'6", 450. He doesn't get a whole lot of snaps and plays. He's like a very, very special specialist kind of guy. Um, the guy that played at the nose a lot more often is Dominic Williams. Um, and frankly, he's really, really powerful in the bull rush, but he does a much better job of just holding down the run game between guards, right? Guard center guard. He kind of occupies that space and does a really good job of holding down that space. The guy I'm interested to see how Houston handles though is Caleb Fox. He's a senior defensive end. Um, he's 6'3", 295. Originally from the Woodlands, so it's kind of uh, awkward to play a Houstonian kid, right? Um, but he is a transfer in from Stephen F. Austin, um, and he is really, really impressive with his... Uh, he does a great combination of, I should say, if you're a line guy, of transitioning bull rush into hand fighting. He's big, strong, and powerful for a defensive end. He'll work guards, outside edges, and tackles um, both. He works both very well because he's a big, strong kid, but... A lot of times guys are either a bull rush guy or a finesse guy. And if they're a combo guy, they're probably someone like a Jadavian Clowney. This guy doesn't look like that at all. He looks, again, a lot more like a defensive tackle. But in watching his film against both Nichols and Colorado, I was really impressed by the way he hand fought as a transition out of the bull rush if he couldn't get to the quarterback with that or what have you. Um, he also, for what it's worth, will... Um, pick sides I think that they can win on and based on the rice game just in grades again I don't like to talk bad about guys but based on the grades the right side had a worse side of the field so I'd imagine we see Caleb Fox lined up on Houston's right side which means that they got to get some tight ends over there to help chip maybe pulling a running back to help chip as well um, some sort of way to get involved with Caleb Fox because he's going to bring the noise when he rushes the quarterback um, and I, I say that to say that um I do think if Houston keeps uh, Donovan Smith upright and you know has a little bit of success running the football, there are holes in the rest of this defense. And so really, it's like, can Houston block those three and whatever combination of guys they got in blitzing? They're, they're, if they can do that, they're fine, right? Th those are really, really important things. And I know you could say this, well, every week, Parker, the offensive line play is really, really important. And I get that, but there are such like gaping holes in this Three three five defense. If you get through that, right? Because just schematically, it's a, it's built on confusion and pressure. That if you can take out the pressure and you're not confused, they got flaws. And that that's there's something like that in every defense. But this one is very very simple. It's just keep the guys off the quarterback, and that's easier said than done. But I think those three are very very talented. On the inverse of this matchup, um, and looking at the big fellas up front. There isn't like the marquee name jumping off the page in terms of offensive linemen uh, that are like you just need to keep 
that guy in mind. If there was going to be a guy, I guess Andrew Coker, he's like a 6'7", 315 kid, also Houstonian. He's from Katy, um, but he's a left tackle. Like he's he's the kid that could go pro very easily. If I'm not saying that there won't be more than one either. I just I think that he's like the most obvious. Um, but I think that the truth is they work very well as a unit, and then they've got two really really strong running backs. I was really impressed in the Nickel State game especially now I know it's nickel state Parker, like, but, but like that those kids could really run the ball and uh, Imani Bailey and Trey Sanders, um, both veteran backs, right? Imani Bailey is a senior and he uh, transferred in from Louisiana Lafayette. I guess they call themselves Louisiana now, Louisiana Lafayette. And then Trey Sanders is a transfer from Alabama. And if you've been paying attention to football, I know Alabama lost to Texas this week or whatever, but Alabama knows running backs. If they recruit the kid to play running back, he's very, very talented. You don't, don't need to take my word for it. Um, what I thought was impressive is they're both kind of built like three down backs. And that is to say that there's not like thunder and lightning of like a Darren Sproles and a Derrick Henry type. These are both guys that kind of multi-tool players, which means they get to split reps, which means they get to stay fresh. And I think that's very, very clear over the course of both of their game films thus far now they didn't have the same kind of success against i guess i should say trey sanders did not have the same kind of success against colorado that amani bailey did they both got 50 uh actually just kidding trey sanders got 15 carries amani bailey got 14 carries bailey's the one that broke loose for uh, 164 yards on those 14 carries but trey sanders got the touchdowns you know take that as you may um I look at them as as very difficult backs to work with and combinate as a defense. If Houston's defensive line can keep them in check, though, or at least hold down those gaps, like if they can get the nose tackle, and it looks like there's a chance. I mean, Dotton Wonko looks like he's going to suit up. There's a chance based on uh, the uh, radio show and interviews that Dana Holton did on Tuesday, excuse me, on Tuesday, that it looks like there may be some sort of chance that Dot gets to play. I hope that means we hold down guard to guard very well with Dot in there. Um, there was also a, a room that Cedric Williams might play. If Cedric plays, I think that makes us a lot better. Uh, and then I thought it was interesting that uh, Coach Holgerson mentioned, and and this is a ownership of what could have been a simple coaching mistake, having coached enough. I guess high school ball when I coached, but um, he mentioned David Gwegbu hadn't didn't play enough against Rice. Like they found a snap count after the fact, and he played like two thirds of many snaps he did against. UTSA and like Dan Holgerson owned that. I forget if it was in the radio show on uh, ESPN or if it was the radio show, like the night radio show on Tuesday. But he said at some point, uh, he's like, no, like that's a mistake. Like he needs to play more. He's a ball player. And I wonder if that's just the kind of thing where rotations are thrown off. You're not keeping track of it. Or that's a miscommunication because Dana's now taking over play calling hint, hint. I think that's happening and he's losing track of what's happening. It's like juggling a lot of balls that, you know, in the air. Um, and so I, hope that if Houston rolls out a fully healthy line, they can keep at least those with those defensive linemen, like the guard to guard and then the edges in check uh, and make plays easier for guys like Lake Robinson, right? Like make plays easier for linebackers to just be scraping because Houston's got fast linebackers, not like your plug up a gap linebackers. Like it's 1998. Right. And that's just the way football is now. And because they have to go cover guys too and cover this air raid offense. Um, that's probably the better way to go for it as far as building your roster goes, I, I don't think that they're making a mistake there or anything like that. Um, but it also means that if a guy like Imani Bailey gets loose for 164 yards, you're looking at yourself like, oh, we have such a little linebacker, right? So we'll see how, how that unfolds. But if Houston is healthy up front, 
I really like our line versus their line. It becomes more about like they've got really talented potential pro backs and can we bottle those kids up or are they making plays? Now, as we flip to the back half of both offense and defense, the skinny guys, um, in the third segment, I guess I'll start with the defense, with TCU's defense again, because as I look at TCU's defense, um, I don't want to say I have concerns for them because I could care less, um, but their defense has given up points to Colorado, right? And I know Shador Sanders is like climbing Heisman tallies and this, and the other thing, but he didn't, he went, Shador Sanders went 38 for 47 with 510 yards and four touchdowns in the, like the 11 a.m. kickoff game of like the opening weekend of college football, right? And everyone was like, oh man, like that's incredible. That's like ridiculous. Like how did they do that? But truthfully, they really kind of only looked at a couple of guys, and one of them is Jimmy Horn, who was just at South Florida last year, right? Like the same Jimmy Horn from South Florida, which not very good at football last year. That was one of the guys that tore up uh, TCU's defense. And so when I look at like Houston's wide receiver core, I know that Matthew Golden's had a rough year to the date, but we also know the talent he possesses and that like, if he's not getting double covered bracketed and those kinds of things, like he can tear up a defense one on one, so they can't leave him one on one. Which you know we can dissect later if that's you know what you want to go about. I, I give him another week before you need to like worry about things. I, it's just two weeks in, right? Um, we know Joseph Manjack is Mister Reliable, right? Like he owns that skinny post as well as anyone in America. I had a problem with the drop or two of his last week, but those things, I guess you know you hope to leave him the week behind you. And then Sam Brown is having you know. He has two of the best games if you put them together in all of America, right? Like he is really, really out here to perform this year. And frankly, after some of the immaturity kind of stuff a year ago, it's great to see him like out there and just balling. Like, like, yeah, like all the, t- all the other stuff's done. He's just playing. And that's awesome. He did a great job. I thought as far as the immaturity stuff from a year ago, he was very mature in talking to the media after the rice game. Um, and so, like, I, I think he's turned a corner. I think it's a good sign. And I say it to say that Houston's got a very, very talented receiver core. And we know that the American Athletic Conference level, it's like, would have been the best. And we know in the Big 12, I've been telling you for a long time, I think this wide receiver core, as far as depth goes, is one of the best in the country because they really don't have a lot of drop off. They go like Bogey Johnson or Josh Cobbs. Or, you know, if they start wanting to play the freshman, it, it feels like they might be saving them and saving eligibility years. I, I, that's not my decision. We can talk about it in a later date if that's the right decision. Um, but it does look like they have the talent to tear these guys up receiver because, again, Travis Hunter, yes, he's a, at Colorado. He had 11 catches, 119 yards, and and yes, he is he is that guy, right? I'm not saying he's not that guy. He's playing two ways, playing 100 snaps a game, da, 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 right? But if their second-best receiver against TC was Jimmy Horn, I don't mean to denigrate what Jimmy Horn's done at all. I think Houston's got dudes as good as Jimmy Horn. And I think that's where I come into this at. Like Houston can do those same kinds of things as far as their receiver play goes. If they have the time to throw and if they make, you know, the play calls that Domin Smith at this point, in his time working with Dana, it's still early in, in his career here, right? If he's working through the offense, the right progressions and hitting the keys, at the right times, right? I think the talent's there to break, to beat the money outside. Now that's not to say that as I look at, the talent there. I mean, TCU does have the four circuit, the five circuits, et cetera. Um, you know, like, like Perry Mark is a transfer from Colorado, right? Uh, speaking of Colorado and they've got, uh, who else in the back half of their off of their defense? Um, 
what's the what's the kid from Florida's name? Uh, Avery Helm. Avery Helm. Um, he's a six one one ninety five long kid, right? He was a high talented kid that came out of high school. He's from Fort Penn Marshalls, where I was remembering him went to Florida. He went to Florida originally. Um, they have talent back there. I don't mean they don't, but they've been exposed before, right? If you know Colorado held up up front, Shooter Sanders did that because he was extending plays with his legs, right? And by extending the plays with the legs, his guys are open all the field. And so if Houston can give themselves time to get the ball downfield, those things are open for them too. And I think they've got the talent to do it again. I don't think it takes a whole lot of talent to get past these guys in the back half. The flip side of this is, is TCU as an area offense, that was a national championship game a year ago, has attracted a lot of talented wide receivers. Two of the three starters are transfer kids. Um, J.P. Richardson looks like he'll play more in the slot. He was an Oklahoma State guy. He is also a Mo City guy. So take that as you may. And then Dylan Wright will be playing one of the two spots. He is a transfer, I think most recently from A&M. Um, he's, from a, he's from the DFW area, though. But he was originally an A&M kid. Or no, he was originally a Missouri kid and then A&M kid. Anyway, uh, multi-time transfer. He'll be one of their spots. You'll, you'll recognize, I believe, um, was well, not... Uh, they have a transfer kid named Thomas Warren, but he's not the one I'm thinking of. Um, Jalen Robinson from Central Florida, um, but also went to one or two other Power Five schools. Um, you'll recognize that guy as well. Uh, Savion Williams is like the long stay guy there um, from Marshall, Texas. He's a 6'5, 225, go up and get jump balls type. They got all different types of receivers. But I mentioned Jalen Robinson. Um, he's the 5'9, scatty, skinny boogie shifty kind of receiver right you've got warren thompson is the 6'3 205 looks like he you know looks like a 6'3 power forward type uh wide receiver you've got i mentioned jp richardson he's you know six foot a buck 90 uh he does a lot more slot work right like like they've got a lot of different types of guys for whatever they want to do and i don't mean like ooh and ah what they've got but what that does put pressure on Houston schematically is they've got to know what receiver combinations in the field, what those guys do when they're out there, and they've got to be prepared for them to be lined up, to be lined up in very odd places. Again, Sonny Dykes is, as I opened the episode, the same kind of air raid system guy where he runs offenses that break rules, right? His goal is to maybe do things that feel unsound, like putting full wide receivers in a stack on one side of the field, like I mentioned. But in having those guys stacked up, the goal is it's like, okay, this is just so weird that, well, it doesn't help them do a whole lot besides run a couple different screens or patterns out of it. And if they run any traditional pattern that back guys way for offline scrimmage, what it does do is makes the defense like freak out for a second and figure out what's going on. And they'll probably have two or three things, if not more, for Houston that are in that weird package of things as a conference game that they've never seen before. Uh, that, that Houston, they won't have shown on film because they've got a whole new host of guys out there catching footballs. Again, they've got, was it five, five transfers and they're too deep at wide receiver, right? That's a lot of new talent that they have not showcased. And um, with that said, <laughs> um, Houston's going to have their hands full. Now, like, I think as far as like Jalen Robinson, JP Richardson goes, you'll see like Malik Fleming. It's a great matchup there. He's not, he's not outmatched on size, right? Um, with Warren Thompson, Savian Williams, I'm thinking more like Alex Hogan, right? If you were going to go straight man-to-man matchup, but 
you might also need safety over the top help just because of how tall those guys are, how big those guys are. Because even as long as Alex is, those are big, big guys. And if you're playing underneath and keeping the underneath stuff out, they're just going to throw jump balls, right? So you got to have some little help over the top. Um, that to me means that that puts AJ Halsey at that free safety spot and kind of a roamer over the top of some of these big guys. We do know that TCU is going to take a shot deep. It feels like every seven or eight plays, it might not be that methodical, but it feels like to take a deep shot very, very frequently. Um, Chandler Morris is the guy throwing it. I mentioned uh, the offensive line protecting for other guys to run. He can run it as well. Um, you know, yeah, Duggan had a great year for them last year. Um, Heisman candidate kind of year last year, right, for TCU. But it's easier to forget that Chandler Morris actually elected the starter before his injury last year. He's a talented kid. And Shador Sanders won the Colorado game, so his passing stat line gets talked about a whole lot. But, like, Chandler Morris went 57% for 280 yards and a pair of touchdowns. Uh, Had he not thrown a couple picks, including an incredible one to Travis Hunter that's really more about how good the defense is than how bad the offense is, he'd probably be talking a little bit more, right? Um, I I say it all that to say that I think this is the kind of game, and we'll get to the keys to the game on Friday after we talk to Steven on Thursday, but I think this is the kind of game that could be really, really high scoring, which should be a lot of fun for what ought to be a sellout crowd at, TCU, at a TDCU, right? Like this is the kind of game as they're doing a bunch of like for the city of Houston stuff to start it off. First Big 12 game as a member of the conference at home. It's in TD. It's not at Reliant. It's at TDC. It's not, at, not Reliant. It's not at NRG. It's there on campus at TDCU. I feel like all things are set up for it to go Houston's way. Now, I will say, if it's a shootout, I feel good about Houston. If it's a low-scoring game where it's close and low-scoring, I still feel good about Houston. If this thing's a blowout, I don't. I don't know that Houston wins a blowout in this one. Um, I think Houston's got the talent to keep up. Winning this one a blowout would surprise me. Um, I think Houston can, and spoiler alert to Friday's episode, should win this game. But the the blowout thing is not where I would go. Now, if you think differently, tell me in the comments below. You can tell me at Painsworth five one two P A I N S W O R T H five one two on Twitter, Instagram, and all of your favorite social media handles. We have to talk all things Cougs. Rockets are in a heck of a mess right now. Um, talk about them as well. Uh, the Astros are kind of digging their own very different mess right now. You can talk about them. Uh, the Texans, Tank Dell, that's if I want to talk about. All things you support, you can find me at Painsworth512, P-A-I-N-S, W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky, all your favorite social media handles. We have to talk about all things Houston, thank you all so much for tuning in today. Locked on Goose is a proud Locked on Podcast Network, and that means your team every day. Go Cougs.